Dady Lady, the book club of love. Actual episode. Hey, Vera Elizabeth. Hi, Barbara Ann. Welcome back to Dady Ladies after our break. We had a break. Yeah. I'm kind of glad we had a break, though, Vera, because it gave me a lot to think about. Did it? It did, yeah. Tell me more about that. It's, it's actually kind of strange. Like, I haven't listened to many of the episodes, but I'm. it's almost like, who are those people? Really? Just yeah. from back in August? <laughs> August, September, October. Yeah. Ooh. Well, I mean, uh, well, I'm in a relationship now, so. You're full on. You have a boyfriend? Yes. Did you have a discussion to decide about your names? Uh, we had a fight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what was the fight about? Oh, the fight. Oh, boy. I love you so much. I want you to be my boyfriend. It kind of was. I mean. Love? Are you guys love? We love. You really? Yeah. I like him. I don't love him. Because he's your boyfriend, not mine. But I really liked him. I liked him from the beginning. Yeah, so does our mom (laughs) and your son and my daughter. Yeah. It's just, it's a shit show trying to date when you're older Mm. because there's just so much. Is that the tagline for the show now? Dating ladies? (laughs) The shit show? Yeah. All right. The shit show of love? The shit show of love. (laughs) Congrats, right? Thanks. You're welcome. Okay. Yeah. And we had a very hard, we had a big, like a bad week of, I thought we were broken up. <laughs> oh my God. I really miss that. Oh, Vera I miss fucking that. sucked. <laughs> the first yeah. year of being with somebody is going to have a lot of stuff like that, I think. Not used to it. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, you know, I don't want to say that because that, maybe that's not normal. That was normal for me when I was 24 or 25 years old. I don't, maybe things are different when you're, uh, what, how old are we now? We're about 75. We're about, yeah, together. Can you, can you just please excuse my mouth noise? I was leaning over a child today who raised their head full force into my lower jaw. Yeah. Is this how you found it? Yeah. I'm trying to avoid touching my tongue because my molars basically, I heard a crunching Mm. through my tongue. My molars almost went through both sides. And you almost um, defingertated yourself. Yeah, I, I, what time is it now? It's like six o'clock. Two hours ago, I was in the uh, urgent care. No, I'm sorry. 45 minutes ago, I was in urgent <laughs> Seems care. Seems like two hours. Did you get pain meds? <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. No, I can take Tylenol. But yeah, I, I uh, rotary bladed in right into my finger and needed three stitches, but I'm here. And I hope it was because you're making Ghostbuster dresses for yep. the Paul Feig benefit coming up. Yeah, Paul Feig is going to be showing uh, Ghostbusters at Dynasty Typewriter on November 19th from 3 to 7. He's also promoting his, his cocktail book. But that is one of the reasons that I've not been as able to podcast because I've been sewing up a storm. You have. Yeah. To the point that you have custom labels for all your designs <laughs> now. I do. Yeah, I, I, I have been labels <laughs> you made the bridesmaids dresses for john ham's screening of bridesmaids yeah we got to we got to say hi to john ham oh boy yeah Vera. what you called him the marilyn monroe of our generation and you were five thousand percent right i know he oof, man he knows what he's doing is all i can say as an actor and as a human being mm-hmm. he's a person who can make you feel special just for being in the same backyard yeah because that's where we screen bridesmaids. Bridemaids? Bridemaids, just one. Wait, <laughs> you think you're the only one now, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's just me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so this is our mini commercial for Stars in the Backyard. Uh, these benefits that we do that are for registering voters in the Rio Grande Valley. In Texas. In Texas. It's very important to get, um, I mean, this is the whole thing, but basically yeah. just go to Stars in the Backyard. 
we're I think there's going to be a Step Brothers screening. Yeah, if the, if the SAG uh, strike gets taken care of, that'll be in December with John C. Riley and uh, our buddy Will Ferrell. We're yes. getting we're getting reunited because last year we that's the first time we did one of these projects. Yeah. And Barbara, we have a book to review. I know, I know, I know. Anyway, Vera, when we were we were going to record this, we're going to finish up the book today, Heartbreak yep. by Gl- yep. Gladys. Hold on, Florence. <laughs> Williams as I was taking notes the first because we were going to record a couple weeks ago I was like oh I'm breaking up with this person I'm actually experiencing heartbreak oh yeah you you thought you were breaking up with your boyfriend yeah so did the book help you uh I saw it in a different a less with a less jaundiced eye oh interesting because we were kind of we were a little bit on uh Flojo's case we were I still well it was interesting because I did see I think I saw it in a in a better in a in a more mature light Mm. because a lot of the stuff about divorce really irks me like just how like there's a preciousness she has about it obviously they were married for 5,000 years yeah starting when she was four years old mm -hmm. and part of her wants it and having gone through two divorces two very different divorces in both cases I I mean I think I remember myself at like 27 sounding like her like when she's almost 50 yeah so that probably bothers me in a self-hating kind of way you know yeah you know when you hate stuff because you hate it about yourself yeah and then I haven't really experienced that kind of heartbreak maybe honestly since my first divorce which was 45 years ago Mm -hmm. and I've gotten a little bitter so I think that probably informed my take on this book. I know, Satvir just did this like, oh, you poor son of a bitch face. <laughs> I've had lots of breakups, but they don't, were not... Don't be bitter. I mean, I'll, I'll get back to that. But I think I, I think it's just, it's easy to be shut down and not be kind to the person that you're dating. And I am very grateful that I think I am now in a relationship where I'm back to to being in awe of what love is. Mm-hmm. Although it's, it hasn't been that long, so we're still, you know, growing. But um, anyway, um, so you have some, you're going to sum up some things, some chaps. Well, this is what we're going to do because otherwise we're never going to finish this book. And it's not because we don't like this book. It's just, I think we've been reviewing it for the better part of a year. Mm-hmm. We just can't get through it. There's 25 chapters. We wanted to do the best we could for each chapter. And therefore, by mid-book, we had done five podcasts on it. So we are going to wrap this up in the sixth podcast, mm-hmm. part six. Um, and I'm, this is what I'm going to do. I we have uh, chapters 14 through 25, and I'm going to say a couple things about them. Okay. okay. And you jump in when you want to, because I do believe we need to wrap this book up in a way that's respectful t- because it's a good book. Yeah. Okay. So f- chapter 14 is called High Island. Florence investigates social support, focusing on rebounders. The, here's my takeaway. After a lusty bout of kayaking... <laughs> And to remind our listeners, she's real big on nature. Her hypothesis is that nature is going to help her get through this Mm -hmm. divorce. Well, as she said, it's a sense of awe. Flo and a muscular stoner named Sandro make the beast with two sleeping bags. That's so disgusting. I know. Barely stand it. (laughs) It's a Shakespeare reference. Um, and she also mentions, uh, seriously, I'm just doing like these little bullet points here. Hey, everybody. No, wait, should, should I hop in with the notes for the, each chapter? Nope, we're going to no, go. Okay. We're going to go real quick on this one. Uh, hey, hey, everybody. Warmth releases natural opioids like a sauna or aerobic exercise. Okay, on to 15. That one is called Excuse My... And I'm, uh, wait, wait, can I, if I just have a fact, can I You say can it? have a fact. Okay. Okay. Um, how does the brain know we are physically close to someone? Our skin is the largest sensory organ, because I've talked about this before, about how important touch is. Um, sometimes Sometimes it's described as our social organ. We have special nerve fibers under the skin called cutaneous C afferents. 
these nerve these nerves love to be caressed at slow speeds according to science and the result is that our breathing slows our blood pressure drops and our muscles relax psychologists have measured the way having friends or loved ones holding your hand can help mitigate pain in patients undergoing medical procedures but recently they have begun to look at touch and the easing of social pain so that made me think of like if you've ever been in with someone who's ailing just sometimes you're like afraid to hold their hand yeah hold their hand hold their hand yeah especially it says especially warm touch um mitigates both physical and social pain sometimes when i'm really missing my kid i'll just wrap my own arms around myself and hug myself (gasps) yeah yeah all right can we move on to 15 this one is called excuse my pylorection the science of awe all i have here i made these this particular note a long time ago this is what mike lindell says every time he thinks about trump he's the my pillow guy I don't know what a pillow erection is, but (laughs) have you seen that footage of him on the stand getting so mad about his lumpy pillow? No. Oh my god. All right. Well, okay. Moving on. Okay, sixteen. Okay, wait. Here's here's the one comment I have. She includes this little bit about um, from Simone Weil, who's a French political and religious thinker and philosopher. She believed that much suffering in the world occurs because we attempt to eat beauty rather than see it. And what she meant was that when we pursue something, when we try to possess it and make it serve us, it becomes about our needs and our ego, and then we don't really, we can't really love what we're seeing. Ooh, so it sounds like you wanna, you're doing love for the gram. Yeah. May I do 16? Okay, 16 is called Split Mountain. The only note I have is she goes kayaking. Now we are getting into the couple of chapters where she kayaks. And we, and Barbara we, we and I described... We think they're... What? Barbara and I decided that we are not reviewing those. If you've got a big old my pillow erection for <laughs> nature and kayaking and being in the water and shitting into a bag, go ahead and read those chapters. Who, who are we to... You know, this is really the, the meat of the story is, is her kayaking. And we don't feel like it, it's our right to give away all those luscious details. Okay, yeah. That's... Yeah. Uh-huh. That's the other way we just decided. Do you have some on 16? No, I okay. don't have anything until 18 because kayaking. Okay. Uh, chapter 17, Confluence. I do have a note on this one because she is still kayaking. In fact, this is the second chapter on kayaking and she's only mid midway through her kayaking. <laughs> I know what you're doing, Vera. <laughs> Okay, so my note is, around the mid part of this trip, alone at a camp spot, she writes a goodbye letter to her husband that she burns. Then she writes a list of what she did and didn't love, realizing that her husband uh, had made her feel that she wasn't worthy of him. thought that was a really interesting, great insight from Florence. I also wanted to say, Barbara. Yes, Vera. Did you know at least one individual has sought out therapy because of our podcast? (gasps) But they are having trouble finding a decent therapist. And that mm-hmm. that is hard. I, mm-hmm. I want to acknowledge that that is it is it is hard. You know, I, I say a lot, you know, go to go find a therapist. Don't do stuff alone. Also, your friends are not necessarily even if they're good listeners and talkers, they're not professionals. Mm-mm. I do want to say that even if you can't find a therapist, journaling, which I started doing again, is a really useful tool that you can do mm-hmm. all by yourself. And I found it interesting that she came to this realization by journaling. Oh, okay. So I just want to give a shout out to that, to, to just journaling if you're if you are going to be honest in your journal. Oh yeah. It right. is a really amazing tool. So I would say if you cannot find a therapist or you're having trouble, still know that you can do some work on your own and that is by journaling. I love that for a lot of podcasts 
there's those ads for like my brain or whatever my my my, brain? my sanity okay <laughs> there, there, is there a mind, mindfulness oh better whatever. better better help yeah okay yeah i love that they emphasize if the first one doesn't work find another one because by the time you reach 48 you're gonna have a couple friends that are therapists and some of them are wonderful and some of them you're like i cannot believe this i know what this person did in their <laughs> 20s there's no way this person could be a therapist which by the way can make a good therapist because the it person the person knows yes they're you know i would uh i had trouble finding a therapist when my father was sick because I was talking to people whose parents had never been sick or they'd never lost somebody. Yeah. So you, you know, it's good on the one hand to have somebody who has experience, but yes, yeah. we, <laughs> <laughs> we I, I have to say too, because I still see a therapist and my therapy has absolutely changed my life. I see her on a weekly basis. Sometimes it's exhausting to talk about all the heavy stuff and we just shoot the shit. But there's sometimes when we'll start shooting the shit and I'll say, actually, I have something I need to talk about. And I got to say, when she goes from chit chat to actual therapist mode, and she's been a therapist for a very long time, it is just so powerful. It's a skill set that not everybody has. And I think you need someone who's been doing it for a while. Yeah, you do. Uh, at Towards the end of the chapter, she has another sentence that says, uh, the point of society is without conversation, we have no check on our own dark thoughts. And so that kind of goes back to therapy. Journaling is certainly a tool, but maybe you do need a second opinion. There's nothing like telling a friend something uh, than them telling you their own story right back. And I know that that is a way that people communicate and relate. But when you need someone to not do that and to listen and maybe even to give you a little insight, as Barbara said, you might need a professional for that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking at some... I just have this one note at the end. We're not at 18 yet. Oh, (laughs) shit. Okay, go on. 18, the happiness that matters. And here, I think she's she ends her kayaking. Her kayaking comes to an end. And uh, she comes to this conclusion. Maybe uh, nature isn't totally the answer. Hmm. You know what? Good for you because we're only like we're maybe two thirds, three fourths the way through the book. And you're like, "Mm, that thing I said before that I based this whole book on. No. Maybe not. Well, that's okay. Um, She says things, and of course she's like referring to doctors and stuff, but I don't have all those notes. Because she's constantly checking out doctors and checking out therapists and checking out scientists because this is a book about the science behind heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Part of the answer could be striving for purpose and togetherness, i.e., no, e.g., volunteering with community. These might be more effective. She, I'm going to have a couple more notes about this, but this is where she, the point of the book where she goes, hmm, maybe just doing stuff in nature all by myself is not the Mm, answer. mm -hmm. Maybe it has to do with moving outside of yourself and focusing on other people. Yeah. You know, I I remember like I was in a relationship where we worked together and it was just torture. It was fucking torture. It was a horrible relationship. But I was young enough that it didn't cross my mind to leave the job. I remember like every day I'd be driving to work, just my whole body would feel like awful and my mind was racing and I but I would look up into the sky as I was driving and see the beautiful big blue sky and it would reset me a little bit. I understand that. You you see, oh, I'm this little thing in a great big environment and it does serve a purpose, but then there's a the practical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's absolutely what it is because yeah. being in nature didn't hurt her, but it didn't solve all the problems. Yeah. Yeah, cuz the harder thing is uh, you probably needed to break up with him. She, well, she does, we're going to get to this. We're going to get to this. Okay. So, um, chapter 19. Wait, I just want, at the end of um, 18, 
she yeah she does go to a lab and there's inflammation she does her second set of blood markers right yeah because the whole book is about she does um in the beginning she does like her first set of blood markers and she's like pre-diabetic and has inflammation and all these yeah she's this affects her body like her yeah so second set of blood markers and after it's she does the before and after wilderness blood test and uh, what's the result, Barb? Um, let's see. Was it a miracle cure? He said the a- analysis was a bit complicated. He examined two particular types of genes, those related to inflammation and those related to viral defense. Quick refresh. Lonely people tend to express more inflammation as their bodies prepare for fleeing and fighting and getting injured alone in the jungle. And they express a reduced ability to fight viruses, which are spread in groups. After analyzing my blood for his favorite suite of inflammation genes, he said my immunity profile really did not look much better after the river trip than before it he said don't be too worried it's not like you look like you're going to keel over the problem seemed to lie in the antiviral genes based on my transcription factors he saw that my stress neurotransmitters were likely culprits inhibiting better progress nor adrenaline nor adrenaline nor efron nor efron which is hilarious (laughs) gets released by the sympathetic nerve fibers when we are under threat it then spills out into our bloodstream and then in your blood he said there are not a ton of inflammation per se but there's still a big signature for stress these changes in your life are definitely filtering down to the molecular level in your body do my cells still look like those of a lonely person i ask yeah i would say so he says so weird that taking this um incredibly lonely (laughs) lonely and stressful trip on in a kayak uh, resulted in more uh, loneliness and uh stressful markers yeah, weird, weird. I, just, I love hearing though every time like that these emotional experiences are are truly physical. Yeah, not in your head. No. Okay, chapter nineteen is called Truth Serum Part Two. You'll recall, of course, Truth Serum Part One was chapter thirteen. Um, and here is where she really accepts that nature did not give her the closure, and that she should do mushrooms about it. <laughs> Vera, how many times have you done mushrooms? Oh, my God. And how many were good? (laughs) Well, she says, make sure you take MDMA with them. Yeah, so guys, (laughs) (laughs) that was my problem. Okay, so chapter 20 is called The Divorce Drug, and she goes to see a therapist in Portland, Oregon, of course, where she takes both MDNA, which is ecstasy, Molly for the kids, right? Uh And mushrooms together. And uh, it gives her some out-of-this-world insight while she's tripping and then when she comes down she's not sure that that insight's valid anymore (laughs) (laughs) and the screenplay she wrote is probably not gonna get (laughs) (laughs) so she so when she comes down she has even more uh confusion and sadness okay and that's probably because in the next chapter we learned that mdma uh, can damage serotonin receptors yeah interesting (laughs) (laughs) we've talked about this before yeah beginning of 21 um at least one scientist believes that even one hit of mdma can permanently damage serotonin pathways to the brain yeah i just wrote oh oh oopsie (laughs) felt good at the time Uh yeah um no it felt felt really good at the time that brings us to chapter 21 open sesame where she explores the concepts of openness and mysticism that's all i have written there 
Uh, Do you have something for 21? She goes into this whole, to be the best versions of ourselves, you need to transcend the self and dedicate your life to something bigger than you. Often you can achieve a recognition of that through peak experiences, and those are typified by awe. Awe ideally makes us realize that all humans are in it together, all creation is in it together. If evolution ultimately selects for cooperation, it follows that awe represents the pinnacle of human experience. So she says, that's a pretty grandiose claim for an overlooked emotion. Humans used to run smack into awe naturally through our once daily but now lost encounters with the Milky Way, the sunset, the phases of the moon, and wild animals. The human brain is wired to feel awe. If this emotion represents the pinnacle of human experiences, we are now greatly impoverished. You know what, Barbara? I'm sorry. I got to stop you right there. If you're seeing the Milky Way every night, you're like, oh, it's the Milky Way again. You know? Okay. Yeah. I'm just glad that I got my saber tooth coat. Yeah, and right. I didn't, and I, I'm in awe that I found this leaf to wipe my butt with. <laughs> okay, who are who are you I right now? Um, caveman. Yeah, I'm a caveman. Okay. Yeah. I, are I, you feeling awe though? Well, are you? Yeah. You're, I feel, what you're, what I you're feel saying awe. is like I feel awe. Me feel awe. Yeah, is that your husband's name? <laughs> I don't, <know. laughs> don't laugh. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't. I don't think. I think if you're exposed to the Milky Way every night, you're not going to give. Two, two shits? Two shits. To wipe <laughs> wipe away with a leaf? Vera, if I did see the Milky Way every night, I would be in fucking awe because this planet's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> well, that just means know. that we've our, our electrical grid has gone out. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're all doomed. Yeah. Um, in, later, she quotes Iris Murdoch, which I am so pleased because I love Iris Murdoch. She's my favorite authoress favorite author favorite lady author yeah right Mm -hmm. Uh, she's a philosopher and an author just read the sea the sea if you want to get started on her she's incredible that's such a pared down stupid simplistic description of iris murdoch but on page 148 she says mindfulness meditation also diminishes activity in this network as can experiencing an arresting piece of art or moments in nature iris murdoch writes of a beautifully mundane non-psychedelic encounter with a flying kestrel what's a kestrel a bird In a moment, everything is altered. The brooding self with its hurt sanity has disappeared. There is nothing now but kestrel. And when I return to thinking of the other matter, it seems less important. She calls this process unselfing, and we clearly don't do it enough. I do believe in unselfing. Oh, I I believe in unselfing, too. Yeah. So I think that's what I was describing with the seeing the sky. Yeah. Although I didn't know, I didn't have the tools to move on past that. Yeah. This is like, here you go. Here's a reset. I guess there is something to seeing the situation not through your own. Yeah, that's really interesting because sometimes when I'm feeling very low or upset, I do some type of reset. And sometimes it's not even like something that I'm doing on purpose. Like I'll see a movie. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. Whatever it is, I will take myself out of my own situation. And mm-hmm. then when I return to it, I have this different perspective on it. And that's something I highly recommend to anyone who's having a really hard time with something. Mm-hmm. Do something that resets you. Yeah, I like walking. Walking, everybody loves walking, right? Walking is wonderful. Not everybody does it, though. No. How many times do you walk? I don't. I don't. That's one of those things that you know that you can do and it's going to change your perspective a little bit. I think what you were saying is when you come back after unselfing, if you just go, well, okay, now I'm back in my problem. Yeah. That's, that's, don't do that. Make use of the distance that you have from your problem. Yeah, sometimes just even taking a shower. I also, I I want to, can I talk about unselfing for a second? Yeah, do it. I think in my recent discoveries, epiphanies, epiphs, what do you call them? Revelations. Revelations. (laughs) I Um, like epiphs, so anyway. That uh, problems with a partner 
can all be like the the start to healing I think is rooted in the unselfing which I think takes valuing yourself and not putting your self-worth into the problem so you're saying you look at it stoically or you no not I wouldn't use the word stoic I'm trying to discuss this with you like when someone does something to upset you when mm-hmm. a partner does something to upset you yeah process it through this person has hurt me in this way because they were doing it to me basically yeah and if the, you don't take a second, what? No, just the chances of of your partner going, how can I make this the very worst for Barbara? Is It's probably not. They're probably going, how can I make this better for me? Yes, that's what it is. Or this is this is why it hurts me. I think that's the way I've... You got to take the personalization out of it. Yes, but I think the personalization is rooted in trauma and... Insecurity. Insecurity and how, how you value yourself. I think women are a lot more prone to this because we're raised to when something bad happens to go, why, why wasn't I good enough? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's all rooted in like just fucking everything. Like you're not skinny enough. You, your makeup isn't right. Your hair isn't right. Your anything physical is not right. Also, you're too loud or you're too quiet or whatever. It's just, it's built into patriarchy that we live in. So I think we're more susceptible, but I also think that men have, there's a ton of trauma that men are not allowed to talk about at all. I think that's also responsible. It's just, it comes up in different ways. Agreed. What, what, I mean, when someone does something and then they go like they have no idea that they've done it or they didn't do something on purpose to hurt you. I mean, can you think of like, yes, that's every argument, Barbara. No, I, I, if you're with a decent person, I don't and you're upset about something they've done. Chances are it wasn't done directly to hurt you. The effect is hurting you and or maybe, you know, it's pressing your buttons or whatever. But it's the way that nobody thinks about anybody else. You know, you walk around going, oh, my God, what did I just say? Oh, I said the stupidest thing at the party and blah, blah, blah. People are thinking about themselves. That's just the way they are. They're they're doing things for themselves, which is what you should be doing. Not in a selfish way, but just that's the way people are. So if you guys are having an argument, yeah, I would I would look at uh, taking yourself out of the equation. Yeah. But I mean, I'm thinking of you, too. You've been married for how long? Uh, 90 years. 90 years. Mm -hmm. And you have the basic three arguments that you guys have, right? What are they? What are they? Uh, Money. Yep. Everybody does, though. Like responsibilities. Yeah. Those have gotten a little better. Maybe there's just two of them. Those have gotten actually quite a bit better. Well, uh, let's say, yeah, no, go on. No, just uh, when you talk to me about these things, they're pretty consistent what they are. They they come up with slight variations, but there's two themes. But you guys have been doing this again and again. I know that's the hard thing, though, because it's like you do reach a point where you're like, well, this still isn't working for me, but they're still not doing it on purpose to hurt you, to make it not work for you. So I guess you can reach an impasse with stuff, but the rest of our relationship is so good that it you know we just keep working through it I mean the other thing with being with somebody for 23 years it's only 23 years is that things change like the amount of change that has happened in our relationship when we first met to now and things are constantly changing and the dynamic is constantly changing I know that I love my husband enough that I'm just gonna weather the changes because our relationship things like money or domestic slash childcare issues in six months could look very different in three months could look very different in five years could look very different or not, you know, but a lot of it has changed. So I don't consider any of those things enough for me to go. I'm over this. I'm done with this. No, I wouldn't suggest that. I don't see that at all for you guys, but I do see a level of frustration anew for this, for essentially the same. Yeah. I mean, some stuff is just, that's the way it's going to be, Barb. Yeah, it is. That is because it's nothing that he's doing on purpose. 
And when he when he makes changes, it comes from within. It never comes from badgering or me yeah. doing whatever. It comes from within him or from outside forces that don't necessarily involve me, but it's all his realizations, yeah. which I think is the way everybody changes. I would think that probably if there if there's issues in a relationship that are disruptive and painful, probably there's they are rooted in trauma, probably childhood stuff when you were vulnerable and had no control. And I would think realistically those issues would have to be resolved in a therapeutic session therapeutic sesh. setting sesh setting I'm sorry I'm trying to avoid using my tongue and I'm fucking oh. stuff up but I would think that that would really be that or other revelations would be the only thing I don't know I don't know if I don't know if couples therapy is for everyone no I'm not saying couples therapy yeah. at all I'm saying personal one-on-one yeah. well let's get off track for just a second in talking about money um there was a point where I went fuck I cannot do this anymore with the uh because he's not great with handling money he'll tell you that and i'm very great with handling money obsessively too great obsessively so (laughs) and that definitely comes from growing up being told that we didn't have a whole bunch of money and yes i did iron my dollar bills okay yeah Um, i know so at a certain point i went well i'm sick of like getting notices that our uh our water bills overdue i'm gonna go ahead and put that on auto pay i did the things that i needed to do to keep my sanity and we have a plan in place for the next time uh we have a change in our income Mm -hmm. and it's one that suits me very well Mm -hmm. so we do have at this point 23 years in we have we have found a way to make things work that take my stress levels away maybe i had to put in a little more effort like to get it in place yeah but now it's running smoothly and i do not think about that stuff anymore isn't that fun okay so if i were to sum up what i've seen with you Uh it has been like along these lines It is a value thing. Like you feel like you're not valued. Your time or your energy is disrespected. The amount of hours you work, all that stuff you've taken very personally. But it took fucking auto pay to solve that problem. Yeah. Like that's a miracle. That really is. Is it? Yeah. Okay, great. I mean, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I had to put time. I had to sit down and think about what the solution was going to be. And then I had to put that in motion. I had to do all of that. Yeah. He had no solution for any of that. Yeah. I had to do it. And I am happy now. But I think you did, you have gone through the process of the pain it caused you. Yeah. Right? I I just think it's really, that's really wonderful what you guys did. you. you. know, In the same way that when he would do laundry, he would always lose my socks. (laughs) No, the dryer eats them. (laughs) I started putting my socks in a mesh bag Uh and that has solved that problem. So I'm just, I'm just saying if you have problems in your relationship and the other person is like, well, I didn't mean to lose your socks. I didn't mean to not pay the bill. Sometimes you just have to go, okay, well, wh- what can I do? That is very different than, uh, I didn't mean to fucker. You know what I mean? Like, there are some problems that are not, no, that's not a problem we have. That's not a problem we have. I'm <laughs> giving me the big eyes. But I'm just saying, some problems are solvable and some problems aren't, um, as far as I'm concerned. Although, I have to say, if you did or did not mean to fuck her, that also has nothing to do with your self-worth. No. Which is something that is very hard to get past. I think partners who get cheated on immediately go to, you can't help it. You go to like, why wasn't I good enough? What I'm saying is like, my theory applies to even that. It's not about you. No, I I think I have been cheated on, uh, not by my husband, but, uh, and it had nothing to do with me. Yeah, it kind of sucked though, but you know. All right. So number 22, man 
one in the castle. Castle spelled with K for some reason. Maybe special K because we talk about opioids and love and the science of recovery. I'm just going to read a couple things that I liked, okay? Mm-hmm. Tylenol helps rejection by binding to cannabinoid receptors, which I thought of so interesting because when I'm feeling kind of low, yeah, sometimes I'll take Tylenol and feel better. <laughs> just like one Tylenol. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. She says, uh, she's talking to somebody about addiction, a a specialist, and they said that addiction is basically 10 out of 10 times related to trauma, which then brings on shame. And I felt very validated by that because that has been my assertion since I started thinking about what actually makes addiction. Are you addicted to something? I don't think I am, but we've talked about this, like all of our... All of the people that we know who have maybe moved past binge drinking into full-blown alcoholism, every single one of them had some type of trauma in their lives. And it's I hold on to this idea because I find alcoholism in particular like a very hard thing to be around and it gives me sympathy for people that are still that are not in recovery and not you know doing crappy things while having their alcoholism what's that face for no I just I think it it is hard for us to be around that probably because we grew up with yeah absolutely so I think my patience for it my sympathy for it is low but when I take a moment to go okay well they have experienced real trauma and I'm talking about like abuse or loss of parent or something like that everybody I know who you know who relapses who has real problems with alcohol into their 40s and 50s and 30s you know every single one of them has has had some kind of experience like that so it just makes me be a little more sympathetic yeah it's hard for me to remember before I identified quite clearly that when I drink it is absolutely tied to suppressing feelings really yeah because I think I drank the least when our dad was dying well yeah no me too because that's like that's fucking dark endless pit drinking like I was afraid if I started I wouldn't stop like but then there's like the low grade or mid grade you know relationship sadness or whatever like okay I have some free time I don't want to feel those feelings that didn't register in my 20s like I never thought that I drank more than I should to um suppress feelings I thought it was just what you do it's fun it's you know it's cathartic it's whatever I didn't realize that it's directly linked to suppressing feelings yeah I I don't I don't see it as any other way one of the ways that I'll do that what's the term that we had the unpersoning unselfing unselfing sometimes if I'm having a really really bad time and I cannot get out of a cycle if I have a glass of wine or something it will give me enough perspective that I can break that and I don't I don't think that's healthy but that is if there's like nothing else I've tried to unself sometimes a glass of wine will just give me enough perspective that I can step back from my problem a little bit. But getting drunk does, then does the opposite. Although I, I, ha- I, I have to say I went to a party, Halloween party, and I drank a lot and it was so well, fun. Barb, but you don't do that so all the time. Fun. Oh my God. I would love to have been at that party. You know why? Partly though, because those are people that you met in your 20s when you were having, well, unfortunately we I did a lot of drinking back then with those people. And it's yeah. fun. It was fun. You know, yeah. were you responsible though? Did you have a hangover the next day? I did. Okay. That's see, that's but why. But I'll have a hangover after one glass of oh, wine because right? I'm on antidepressants yeah. and I shouldn't be drinking at all. I mean, that's a big reason why I stopped doing that thing where you just drink and drink and drink and drink because I couldn't deal with the hangover the next day. Yeah. No, it sucks. Yeah. But the fun 
was worth it. And that, that that was not to suppress feelings. That was because... It's to enhance fun. It was. The other thing that's happened in the last couple months is I think I've really reconnected. I'm over some of the trauma that has, you know, since having kids and the divorce and yeah. pandemic and Amy Harwick's murderer was convicted. Yep. He got he got first degree murder. He got the book thrown him. Adam, he's going to be sentenced in December. We will keep you updated. Yeah. All those things. Like there was a lot. And I think I've emerged from the like it, it's heavy. I've had a decade of heavy shit. And yeah. I know. Yeah. Starting with our father passing away. 11, yeah. 11 years ago. Yeah. It's been hard. And and I had a shit relationship right before that. And, and after. And after. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. So like I stopped going to parties like this and just being free. Have you been to a, a rager beer? I have not been to a rager. You gotta go. I know. I know. I'm sorry that I missed that rager. Yeah. Um, to finish up that chapter. So, uh, so recovery can be helped with, uh, again, she goes back to belonging, working on behalf of others and finding beauty. So she really is, um, the beauty, of course, she's still referring to like nature and stuff, mm -hmm. but she really is starting to reinforce the fact that you need to get out of your head yourself and help other people. Be of service. Yes, be of service. Okay. Um, chapter 23, the future of heartbreak. Um, so she ends up giving a talk in Zagreb, which is in Croatia, where she visits the Museum of Broken Relationships. And then the next chapter, do you have anything to say about that? There's a quote from poet David White. I don't know who he is, but he says, heartbreak is how we mature. Uh, sure. And then oh, the, the point I made earlier on page um, 162, heart, there's a quote, just heartbreak. It's such a serious thing and there's nothing to help with resolution. Uh, for guys, it's even worse. You're not even supposed to mention it. Or you just say, we broke up. Then you go out and get drunk. Just to back up my thing about how it's so hard for, it's hard for dudes too. Yeah. The Museum of Broken Relationships like, is this little collection of items that people have donated that are part of their breakups. Oh, there's an interesting thing about that. The cultural differences. Um, in Asia, you get most of the stories ending up with some sort of gratitude. The U.S. is incredibly self-centered. So many of the stories are how I'm absolutely perfect and he or she is horrible and did this and that. Oh, God, Vera, that's, I got, I've really tried to balance out the stories I tell with how shitty I was too. Yeah. But fuck, I really hope, I hope I haven't been too blamey in this podcast. No. I've just tried to be funny. Yes. I know. We try and be funny. <laughs> just to remind everybody in case you're not laughing. <laughs> Chapter 24. The personality of the body. Okay. Now we are two years past her initial split. She gets her third blood analysis and things are looking better for her. Yay. Dr. Cole sums up uh, the recipe for heartbreak healing is focusing outward on other people making a contribution. So I think we've said that enough now. That is really what it comes down to. Also, I don't know if it's this chapter or the next one, but she's, she, Flojo, Florence Griffith author, mm -hmm. Florence Williams, it comes down to time. She says time is the big factor. So she, she said that she felt like she sped up her heart mending with all the things that she did. But really, in the end, it's time. And I know that's really hard to hear for people who are in the depths of it. But time, time really, time really helps. So yeah, because she kind of fights against the whole like, don't rebound. Uh, she has some Pema Chodron. What's her name? Pema Chodron? children what that she became a buddhist nun after she divorced her husband then got married and he left her pema chode pilorection look at, oh, jesus christ pema you don't know who she is no 
um, she has a thing about like you need to love yourself and don't rebound. And Florence has had several shitty, shitty ass rebounds. And she was still kind of like, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe. Can we reiterate that? I, Ennis was garbage. They were all garbage. And I think they set her back. I'm going to say like, that's not time. That's way, that's like, I think you're freezing your progress. Yeah, I definitely think Ennis was a huge problem. And please go back and listen. Ennis was like this predator who finds women, newly divorced women and fucks them up even worse. And by the way, we are going to talk about Barbie, not in this podcast, but another one. Did you see Barbie? Yeah, it was like seven months ago. But yeah, did you did you see him whip out a fucking guitar and a style? <laughs> okay, <Yes. laughs> I said it. All right. If a dude whips out a fucking guitar, know, get on a boat, get on a get on the closest kayak and go down your river as yes. fast as possible. Um, yeah, I think by the time she got to that stoner dude, I mean, she was probably OK, but I mean, not OK, but in, she wanted to have sexy times. I get it. I don't even know how you can have great sexy times when I, you're still grieving over someone else. I don't, I don't know. I don't know either. OK, we are at the very last chapter. It is called A Boat of Lettuce. Uh, OK, she concludes that time is the best heartbreak alleviator. And she floats her wedding ring down the Potomac River in a lettuce cup. The end. <laughs> Big finish. <laughs> OK, thank God we've done it. I know. I recommend this book. I, I love that she... Uh, sets out her little thesis about nature and then she's like well maybe not yeah. I, know, I know that she still loves nature nature is her her uh, her husband but i think um helping other people out is her side piece yeah barbara well, I, how would you how would you sum things up um oh gosh you know time she she over the course of time she learned things <laughs> <laughs> and she's she's already so smart and funny yes she is that for her to learn more things yes benefits us all yes it is so thank you florence williams author of the nature fix for writing heartbreak a personal and scientific journey has a little heart on the front with like a some type of kayaking related um nature <laughs> setting that doesn't interest me at all not a not a single bit not a single bit Alrighty. well yeah but barbara you your uh boyfriend's coming soon and you have to try on your ghostbuster dress yes so, so let's wrap this up thank you for sticking with us and we're Yay. so happy that we're back Bye-bye.